When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome, dear listener, to Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Set aside some moments now and take an adventurous ride on a journey into the psyche of some talented writers. They will dig into your being and titillate you. Oh, I love that word, titillate. While the stories may not all take place in the Heartland, I am delivering them to you from the Heartland. My intention is to strike fear and confusion into the mind, soul, and yes, the heart. This is Fear from the Heartland. Hello, Heartlanders, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 19 of Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. A mother and father are snooping around in their son's bedroom. Being a bit nosy, they search around the room to see if their son is hiding anything naughty. The father checks under the bed and in shock sees tons of BDSM and bondage tapes, DVDs, and magazines. The mother couldn't breathe. It took her a while to say, Oh my God, what should we do about this? The father replied, We shouldn't spank him, that's for sure. Segway, it's all about breathing tonight, and you may find yourself struggling to take a breath as this mother did. This story from Eli Pope will explain. Let's get after it. Some people thrive on the weird and unknown, the unexplainable, no matter what the risks are. Henning Lee Palin is one of those people, a professor, a bit of an out-of-place nerd, and a lover of investigating strange and freaky sites where things happen that shouldn't. Drawn to a silo in Kansas, Henning discovers two things. One, 
he just might be loved finally in his midlife. And two, silos may hold the key to the ultimate unknown journey. And now for your indulgence, Cabbaged Breaths by Eli Pope. One. Professor Henning Lee Palin continued addressing his students. I've searched out and witnessed many oddities of this world. Everything from the Joplin spook light close to the Missouri-Oklahoma border to the Well of Souls located under the Dome of Rock Shrine on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. With my own eyes, I've witnessed the unexplained strange ball of light bouncing up and down an old backwoods road outside Joplin, Missouri. I have been deep inside the cave entrance to the Well of Souls and heard with my very ears what indeed sounded like the hollow screams of those unfortunate deceased beings trapped in burning eternity. Henning continued to speak to his class with fervor. I've followed every lead, striking my curiosity by which my means could afford. This future trip to the silo is only delayed by free time, not expense. This latest source of curiosity was made aware to me by a man who owns Farrington Farms, named Billy Farrington. Henning studied the eyes of each student as he continued speaking about this latest possible project. He was truthfully searching out any who he sensed might possibly share the same passion. That penchant, of course, the examination of unconventional irregularities of this earth. This course of study, of course, wasn't how his class was listed in the university's curriculum, but it was his intent to focus his attention with this class on such. Cassandra Hoff was indeed an enthusiast. She was also a sophomore majoring in earth science who found Professor Palin attractive in an odd way. The professor is a bit eccentric, but he's a young at heart soul. He's just trapped in a middle-aged man's weathered body. She offered her opinion to fellow student and friend Trevor Nichols, a junior, who also was majoring in earth science along with minoring in animal sciences. He certainly is the driver that doesn't fit the vehicle, if you catch my drift. Trevor laughed before he continued. <laughs> to look at him, you'd expect to see him standing behind an aluminum four-legged walker. You know, with the bright yellow tennis ball stuck on the front two stems. Thunk, swoosh, thunk, Trevor eyed his good friend Cassandra in order to surmise her demeanor on the conversation. Seeing her lips weren't pursed yet, he continued rattling on. But certainly not teaching a class surrounded by hot young female students vying for his attention and volunteering to aid in investigating crazy haunted locations. He winked at Cassandra. 30 love, he hollered aloud as he winked again at Cassandra. Carl Thomas, a senior and student far less an enthusiastic fan of the professors, added his two cents. Nah, he most certainly doesn't appear to be any kind of extreme explorer type, especially not traveling to locations hosting odd and mystic anomalies like the Lost Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> he chuckled. He is the odd anomaly. He added a smirk. You know, those sites that usually require an amount of endurance and physical effort, such as hiking for miles or climbing to high elevations in order to reach, 
far more effort than climbing down from your teacher's lecture stool to walk out to your car and drive the five blocks to one's apartment, he laughed. Cassandra guffawed. <laughs> Carl, you have no idea what you're talking about. Finding those sites and traveling to them is Henning's true love and passion, and he's good at it, even if he doesn't visibly wear an Indiana Jones look with his appearance or carry the leather bullwhip. Cassandra defended the professor like a student with a mad crush on her teacher. I took this class because of Professor Palin, not in spite of him. Carl retorted, I'll admit Henning is no ordinary professor. In my three years here so far at Humboldt State, he's never brought back any artifacts. In fact, it's kind of weird, but he seems to actually enjoy some of our somewhat cruel descriptions and banter some of us conjure up about him and give him shit for. The senior laughed again. <laughs> hell, that makes him abnormal as hell right there. Again, Cassandra jumped in. Quick assumptions made from viewing the cover of the book without reading the content makes the reader very ill-informed. She held her hands on her hips, ready to spar harder. Yes, he's no normal professor, I agree, but he doesn't want to be. He doesn't care what people like you think. Do you know why I love his classes? Cassandra looked at Carl quizzically. Because he's willing to share his love for the strange and macabre locations that host the abnormal. Places on this earth that appear to be tied to possible misalignments of parallel worlds. Cassandra took a deep breath. Have you ever heard him talk about some of the haunts he's been to? Places that appear to share tears or small rips in the universe's fabric, which allow more than one world to intersect in the same space at the same time? Trevor grinned his devilish smile, as if he had heard Cassandra's rant about the professor more times than he cared to count. But the argument appeared from his facial expression to fascinate him, so he chimed back in. The distinct possibility for such places to exist are what interests me in Professor Henning's class, too. I'll admit, Carl, he's odd. I think even Cassandra will admit that. Trevor eyed her for agreement. She nodded in affirmation. But the dude has so much more cool than his physical appearance could even begin to let on. Surely after three long years here, even you could see that by now. Carl quickly answered, Yeah, I get it. But still, a lot of the school's classmen believe he's nothing more than a crazy old goot that smokes too much weed from the mountain. There's just a few of your fellow nerdy science geeks like you who worship him like he's genius, Carl snickered. Trevor snapped back before Cassandra had a chance. I see it. He's an odd dude with freaky habits but he owns a magnificent intellect just the same. Then again, aren't most prodigies seen as crazies or oddballs? Look at Einstein and his appearance, for instance. Hell, for that matter, even an English major such as yourself can surely see Mark Twain was a freaky man, but a literary master. Trevor paused before looking at Cassandra and finishing with 40 love, game match and set. That Cheshire grin worn proudly across his face as he raised his hand to high-five Cassandra. Cassandra answered her friend's raised palm and then turned her back to walk towards the science lab before she let yet another asshole, judgmental, know-nothing English major like Carl get too far under her skin. Again, what a piece of work that prick is. 
he wouldn't last an hour staying alive on one of Henning's trips. She laughed to herself. She couldn't resist. She turned and finished with, Professor Palin has one thing you and your snobby-ass friends are lacking, a healthy and active brain open to new thoughts. With that, she turned and walked away. When Cassandra reached Henning's classroom office, she cooled down from her argument with Carl. She sat in one of the professor's guest chairs and began chatting with him. She mostly listened as he talked about the silo. It's about all she had heard from his lips ever since the owner, Billy Farrington, had called him about it. According to Billy, this old silo, which stands out of place on the edge of one of his larger wheat fields, has recently been surrounded by dead animals lying oddly stacked around its base. Henning's eyes grew with excitement. Not necessarily a thing that would cause alarm with the authorities, or, of course, much less of an interest to any of the professors from Wichita State. Henning laughed. Guess those boring old cowpokes can't see past the wheat in their eyes to consider there's more to this story than a couple of dead rabbits in a field. Henning smiled sarcastically. Seems this Billy Farrington character Google searched for names of people interested in investigating places where macabre happenings appeared regularly. He slapped his desktop. Guess what, Cass? What, Henning? Cassandra's hand edged a little closer to his, hoping he would grab it and hold it within his tightly. My name appeared at the top of his Google search. His eyes gleamed for a moment. Does this make me famous? He laughed. Guess being tenured at Humboldt State University out here in northwestern California puts one ahead of a worn-out cowboy at Wichita State. <laughs> he cackled. Well, Billy Farrington's farm, where the silo site is located, is out there in the heartland state of Kansas. He noticed Cassandra's hand and then lifted his eyes to meet hers. You and I will just have to wait until spring or the summer break to be able to go and investigate the site, of course. I have to admit, though, after talking with Billy about some of the oddities out at the site, those tidbits of information he's given me are certainly pulling at my desires to just head east and investigate. So I get to go with you? Cassandra asked as she stared into his excited eyes. Well, hell yes, both you and Trevor, I hope. Be a great experience for you two. Cassandra's eyes lost some of their sparkle. Yeah, Trevor too, huh? I was really hoping you were going to ask him, she said with less enthusiasm as Henning had expected by the look she now wore across her face. You didn't want Trevor to go with us? Is there a problem between you two? No, nothing like that, Henning. And Trevor and I are not an item, if that's what you mean. She attempted to change the subject back to the site. So, tell me more about this silo site. He squirmed slightly with an odd look of discomfort before he began to share more of the details of what species of animals had been found dead at the site. He pulled maps of the area up on his computer screen. You do know that you and Trevor are the only two I would even consider taking on a trip like this, don't you? I feel like you two are truly enthusiasts like I am. Cassandra, who clearly had a thing for her professor, but hadn't been brave enough to out and out tell him, was growing weary of fruitless hints she had attempted dropping to no avail. She looked up at Henning and forced a smile. I'm, uh, glad to know that, Professor. And Trevor? Well, 
He was now obviously a truly good friend who was keeping me of having any alone time with the professor. Henning nervously laughed as he suddenly felt he was missing something, obvious that he just couldn't see. You two know you are students who are more than likely looked at by other humble classmen as part of Henning's nerd squad. That's what I've heard anyway, he chuckled. Well, Professor Palin, I most certainly wear that as a badge of honor, and I believe Trevor feels the same way. We defend your honor all the time, Cassandra said, hoping he might realize just how much she adored him. 2. The phone calls and Zoom meetings between Henning, Billy, and Henning's two young protégés had been very informative and stirring of late. To say it had led to further late-night discussions long after Billy had hung up or disconnected would be an understatement. These pulled-up Google Maps give us the ability to at least see every available angle of the site, Trevor explained, and we can research every available source on the varying animals Billy has found deceased at the site also. Maybe find a common thread of what would draw them there or lead us to a possible cause for their demise. It's gotten to the point Billy quit closing up the disposal holes and is now leaving the pit he's dug open and uncovered because of the growing frequency. Henning interjected and then paused. Billy stated it was almost as if something drew them to the silo, only to rob them of life. He couldn't understand what was happening or why. He says there is already talk around the area of some form of cult worshippers more than likely causing the animal killings in a ritualistic sacrifice to the devil. Henning paused, rubbing his chin with his hand. I, of course, have experienced many stories like this throughout my career. Townspeople always use the occult to explain away their fears of the unknown. It's easier that way. Truth is, the fact that this height and incidents popped into notice so recently, Henning scratched his forehead, is particularly intriguing to me. It's new and not based on legend. He looked at Trevor and Cassandra, studying their expressions before continuing. I urged Billy to stay as quiet as possible about his silo. He certainly didn't need anyone, kids especially, coming around and disturbing the site or getting hurt. There was, after all, the possibility of human death. At the very least, serious injury. Henning finished and shook his head. He was growing more worried about the silo site in Kansas. He didn't want to worry or scare his protégés, but serious concern was growing more dire in his mind with each contact he had with Billy. One night, when only he and Billy were on a Zoom call, Henning suggested, During the day, could you take exact measurements of the distance between the base of the silo and the closest part of the carcasses as possible? Henning's tone and his voice changed. This could be an important part of the equation of what is going on. Your voice changed, Henning. What are you thinking? Uh, <clears throat> Henning cleared his throat. Well, it just occurred to me. Henning looked at his laptop to the right of him and tapped on a few keys. I'm scanning a topography map, and it appears the silo is on a plateau, probably unnoticeable by mere eyesight. A plateau? Billy chuckled. Henning, have you ever been out here to western Kansas? It's literally flat as a pancake. 
His head turned back and forth on Henning's screen as if disagreeing. Hell, I'd say it's flatter than a pancake, but that might suggest the possibility of your plateau idea more readily. <laughs> he chuckled again. It certainly exists, Billy. It's very slight, but it is definitely elevated. Well, okie dokie smoky about that, but what in hell could that suggest about the root of the cause? You suggesting these animals are just dying from exhaustion after climbing this tiny invisible to the eye plateau? <laughs> he laughed. No, nothing like that. I'm just curious if there could be a buildup of natural gases seeping out from a high spot they've been collecting, or something more along those lines. You've not experienced any dizziness or odors of gas, any other signs of problems or distress when you've collected the deceased animals, have you? Ah, nothing unusual. The only thing I can think of that seems a bit odd now that you mention it. Billy paused. I've never noticed any odor. No rancid smell of death or, for that matter, nothing at all. In fact, no flies or maggots now that I recall. I thought it strange the first time or two, but then it just slipped my mind, I guess. Were any of the animals ever left untouched very long or did you clean up quickly? Let me put it this way, Henning. From the plains heat throughout a day, even though it ain't summer yet, some of them should have stunk to high heaven. But they didn't. None of them. Not a one. That does strike me as odd now. You? Yes, it does, Billy. When was the last time you visited the silo? Henning questioned. It's been a week or two. Been too busy with fields to the north and the west. Machines will be out that way in a week or two. Let me know what you find the next time you're out there. Henning's face looked concerned enough on the screen that Billy took notice. And be careful, Billy. I hope to get out there and meet you and visit the silo very soon. I'll keep you informed, Henning. You by God have me more hesitant about that damned place now more than ever. I'll have my foreman Henry go out and measure the distances like you asked and... Get those back to you in a day or two. Billy, give him caution. But try not to be too, uh, too clandestine about it. He shouldn't hang around the site too long, though. And definitely not after sundown. We don't know anything other than nighttime seems to be when the animals are entering the perimeter and, um, meeting their demise sometime after that. I got you, Henning. I have to say, though, you are beginning to scare the shit out of me with the tone you're now taking. Just wanting you to practice caution. This one has me baffled. I wish I could head out your way right now. Spring break is just around the corner, though. Three. Henry, Billy's foreman, called Billy on his cell phone. Billy? This is strange as hell, buddy, he said immediately when Billy answered. What's up, Henry? You at Field 55 or the silo, I presume? Yes, sir, been here about 20 minutes. He paused for an uncomfortable moment to Billy. Just what the fuck has been going on out here, Billy? I mean, there's, uh, there's exactly 15 animal carcasses out here. Five deer, five groundhogs, and five foxes. All dead. It gets even stranger, Billy. 
they seem to be grouped together in three separate, I don't know, like categories or something. Kind of like they do at the buffet in town. Steak together, chicken together, and ham together. Fifteen animals, three different species, but grouped together? What the? Billy questioned. Yes, sir, and to make things even crazier, I measured the distance like you said to do, and I even double-checked after measuring a few because of the oddity. And? Billy asked. Each one is laid out with its hind paws toward the silo, which in itself is strange as fuck. Henrietta shakiness in his voice as he continued. But Henry let out a short guffaw. <laughs> Come on, Henry, you got me on pins and needles. What are the damn measurements to the silo's base? Fifteen foot and five inches. Exactly. Okay, how about the next one? Billy, that's just it. Same exact measurement for each of them. All fifteen. The same. Not so much as a quarter inch variance. Craziest shit I've ever seen in my life. There was silence on the phone between them. Nothing but breathing sounds. And guess what? Ain't no smell of death. No flies buzzing around. And there appears to be no open wounds or maggots. Nothing. Just 15 dead animals laid out around his damn silo in exact measurements. Like a fancy party buffet table. Except, of course, nothing is cleaned or anything. That's crazy. I gotta make a quick call to Henning. Henry. Yeah, Billy? Get the hell out of there. Now. And call me when you get back home. Nothing said to nobody until we talk again. Got it? Not any of the men or even your wife. Yes, sir, Billy. You ain't gotta tell me twice. This place is creepy as hell. I swear I can hear something like breathing or something coming through the damned openings in that silo. Are you in your truck yet? I'm getting ready to open the door now. Climb in and get out now. Don't stop for anything. Henning's cell phone buzzed in his pocket. He reached in to see who was calling him in the middle of his class. He saw it was Billy Farrington. He looked up from its screen and back to his class. I'm cutting you out early today. Please read chapters 4 through 12 and be ready to discuss tomorrow. No excuses. He pushed the accept call on the device and drew the phone to his ear. Billy, what's up? You got new information? I think it's time you get here, Henning. Hell, I'll pay for your damn plane ticket and pick you up personally at the airport as soon as you can get here. What's happened? I think you probably need to see for yourself. I'm not sending anybody else out there to the silo until you come. Fill me in, Billy. Henry was just about to climb into his truck when he thought he heard his name being called. He stood at the driver's seat and perked his attention toward the silo where the sound seemed to be coming from. He knew he should just get in the truck and drive off like his boss told him, but his curiosity kept him from immediately jumping in and starting it up. He looked down at his watch briefly. Almost 6.20 p.m. The sun was just beginning to sink, 
A movement off to the left in his peripheral vision caught his attention. He quickly turned to see a large male buck slowly meandering towards him and the silo. It appeared as if he were in some sort of trance. Another rustle of movement in his peripheral vision, this time in the opposite direction of the buck. It drew him to turn his head. There were critters of varying sizes scattered about him moving towards the silo in the same slow mimicking way. The sun sank a little further down on the horizon. Henry heard sounds in the brush forming in all directions surrounding him and his truck. More animals of all varieties native to the area began appearing, making their way quietly and calmly towards the silo. Henry stood and watched in quizzical amazement. He knew he should just climb into his truck and leave, but something kept him from making the attempt. Before he knew it, it was dark. The sun had made its final dip into the plain's horizon. The tips of the winter wheat stalks swallowed up its final beams of light in a quick golden tan flash. At some point, the call to walk towards the silo overtook his better thoughts of driving away. He succumbed and began a slow and steady trek to the silo, as if he were now in a trance. There were deer and other smaller creatures in the mix sauntering slowly and methodically in the direction of the tall cement tower which jutted upward from the stalks of the wheat nearly ready to be harvested and stacked in shocks. He reached out and touched an eight-point buck on its neck. It never flinched or turned. It kept its nose forward and towards the ground, never changing its stride. As the silhouette of Henry's body could barely be made out in the darkening evening, the cab of his truck lit up from the screen of his cell phone resting on the seat. It silently hummed in a rhythmic cadence announcing an incoming call. The name flashing on and off across the screen spelled out, Billy Farrington is calling. It was a call that would be unanswered, more than likely causing distress and frustration in the caller's psyche. 4. Henry now stood facing the large structure before him. Lined up beside him were a myriad of other living creatures staring blankly ahead as the sounds of their breaths being inhaled from their lungs began. Billy's entranced foreman never let out a sound except for the air whistling inside his mouth from the air slowly escaping by no effort of his own. The white orbs of his eyeballs began to grow as the panic set in when his mind quickly realized he held no ability for his body to replace the breath being stolen or cabbaged away. Unable to force so much as a gasp, the vacuum too great to overcome its turbulence, Henry's eyes bulged yet more. One by one, the other creatures began to calmly lie down, as if making their bed for the night. Each of the creatures' legs and paws stirring in the wheat until pointing toward the base of the silo, each adjusting their limbs as if placing them into an exact position. Henry, still somewhat cognizant of his surroundings, witnessed this action but made no sign of understanding what was happening. He reached into his jeans from muscle memory, realizing he should call someone. His phone was not there, and he pulled his hands from his pockets and slowly knelt to the ground. He stretched his legs forward and shuffled his body, mimicking the other animals until everything felt appropriate. Henry's feet lie perfectly aligned with the animal on either side of him. Even though he seemed unaware of his actions at this point, he also appeared to maneuver his body as if he did. If one could watch the spectacle from overhead, the entire scenario would have appeared as a well-orchestrated dance of final unity. 
Henry's head lay back, his eyes focused on the twinkling stars overhead which filled his dying vision with calm. The atmosphere above him appeared like an intricate painting, and it was beautiful. The sight seemed to quell any panic he had had, being unable to refill his lungs. He instantly wondered why he had never taken the time to notice the overwhelming beauty overhead before. Trails of light particles followed in the wake of the dying stars as they gleamed in the distance from one side to the other. As the stars' light trails faded into the dark night sky, the wisp of the vapor being siphoned from each living creature's mouth and nostrils began to twist in and out in circular trails before being drawn into the silo's dark black openings. The mist ingested within as if it were life-sustaining sustenance to whatever monster resided inside the round cement structure standing tall and foreboding. All the creatures laid still as a pond around the silo as if they were placed ceremoniously as offerings. Each breathed in one last short breath in unison before exhaling their last ingestion of oxygen. The silo made one collective final sucking sound as the anxiousness seeped from all the bodies. Every eyelid slowly closed as if it were a final curtain call. It was done, and the field became eerily silent. Even the constant Kansas wind refused to continue blowing. The swirling collected vapors encircled the interior of the protruding cement cylinder before spilling silently like a waterfall into the open fissure that lie exact center of the earthen floor. 5. Henning sped off toward the airport after being filled in on Billy's conversation with Henry. This couldn't wait until next Friday when spring break officially began. This was now an emergency. He quickly called Cassandra after failing to get a hold of Trevor. He'd left a brief message on Trevor's machine, which he knew would only frustrate and bewilder him. Fortunately, Cassandra answered on the third ring. Cassandra. Henning spoke with an intensity never heard from her before. Cassandra, you must say nothing to anyone except Trevor when you are able to speak with him. He drew a deep breath that sounded as if he were full of excited panic. Professor Palin? I mean, Henning? Cassandra asked. Yes, Cassandra, it's me. It's begun. I must leave quickly. I haven't much time to explain. Henning glanced down at his car's speedometer. 80 miles per hour. Billy called me and gave me new information. My trip couldn't wait. Something is happening, and it's growing more and more every night. I... I don't understand, Professor. Um, Henning... What's happening? What did Mr. Farrington tell you? I I thought that I was going to come with you. I'll try to quickly explain, but I haven't much time. I must catch the 9 p.m. flight into Wichita. I'm on the highway heading to Humboldt County Airport now. Have you talked to Trevor? No answer. I couldn't get him. I wanted you both to come with me, but there isn't time. I don't understand, Henning. I thought it was just an occasional incident. It's grown to be more, Cass. The numbers of animal deaths have grown, and the circumstances they were found in, well, um, were more than peculiar. The measurements are identical from the silo base to the remains. Fifteen feet and five inches. Exact. Henning's voice broke momentarily. Shit, I almost hit them. Henning? Hit what? Cassandra asked in a shocked tone. I'm sorry. I'm driving way faster than I should. 
especially while I'm talking on this damned phone. I almost hit a car coming over into my lane. Slow down, Henning. You're not going to do anyone any good if you crash. I know, Cass. I'm just... I'm frazzled. I can't miss this flight. I think something horrible may be beginning. I just have a feeling down in my gut. Will you be okay? I can try to get there if you like. I don't live that far from the airport. I don't want you to be in danger, Cass. I got this first go. I'll need you and Trevor after I see what exactly is happening there. Billy will be there. I'll be okay. I'll call you when I get there. I just wanted to keep you informed. You're really worrying me. Your voice is scaring me, Henning. I'm sorry, Cassandra. I don't mean to. I'll be okay, and I'll call you directly, all right? Well, okay, but don't do anything foolish. Promise me, Henning. I promise, Cass. Is this just out of concern for an old professor, or... Don't make me say something that will embarrass me, Professor. Oh, so now it's Professor, huh? Henning smiled to himself. It's working, Henning. You already sound calmer. Cassandra giggled. <laughs> and besides, I think you already know what I think of you. I'm just saying, I want you to come back safe. And I want to go next time. Soon. Got it. Be safe. Come home and take you with me next time. You do see who I call, right? He answered with a gusto in his voice. Um, Professor, you do remember that you told me you left a message with Trevor's phone first? Oops, busted. I told you, I'm old and forgetful. Maybe you should hunger after someone younger. Wait, forget I said that. Henning was feeling calmer. Cassandra had succeeded. I'm pulling into the airport. I'll call you after I land. Billy is meeting me to pick me up and let me know of any changes in circumstances. Safe travels, Henning. I'll see you back soon. Yes, ma'am. Ma'am? Really? <laughs> she snickered. Sorry. See you soon, Cass. Click. Billy was becoming frantic. The fact that Henry hadn't called him back. He hadn't picked up his cell phone to answer, and his wife hadn't heard from him. As much as he hated to, he knew he should call the sheriff. Henning was in the air and on his way, so he couldn't call or text him. Discombobulated is how he felt. Damn it. I'm a big farm owner and boss, responsible for dozens of employees, and I'm at a loss of what to do without Henning's help. Do I call the law? Or do I just go out there myself and send someone else to pick up Henning? The big black Ford F-350 Dually Super Duty pulled onto the highway that led to Field 55. The silo field was what it was known as by all the men. Many of them had told Billy in the past it gave them a strange feeling when they were working this field. He had never taken much thought to it. Not until the animal bodies began showing up. He now wished he would have sold it to Clint Barger when he had asked last fall about purchasing it. It butted up to Clint's property, and Clint had known it was a bit of a drive for Billy and his crew to get to the one lone parcel of land without winding around him and crossing the bridge at Scott's Fork River. That's why Clint thought he'd sell it to him. Damn it! Why didn't I take that sweet offer? I wouldn't be out here at 9.30 at night in the middle of Nowheresville 
checking on my foreman who obviously can't follow my damn directions. Billy's heart went cold as soon as he turned his dually into the gate to the silo field. Besides the silhouette of the towering white silo against the stars, there sat Henry's work truck, interior dark and appearing empty. Henry, what the fuck are you still doing out here this late at night? He said aloud in a gruff and worried tone. His headlights lit up Henry's truck. Yep, empty. No Henry in sight. When I find him, we're gonna have words about not listening to orders. Billy flipped the headlights to bright, lighting up beyond Henry's truck to the silo's face. The aura glowed in a circular pattern, becoming brighter when it hit the dirty whitish-gray concrete of the tower as it reflected the light back towards a display of carnage Billy was now able to see. Oh my god! were the first words that spilled from Billy's mouth as he saw bones layered on top of each other like roofing shingles. It was difficult to make out exactly what was in the harsh shadows caused by the halogen lights of his truck. There were piles of bones which appeared to encircle around the entire silo. What in hell is going on here? Billy questioned aloud. Chills suddenly raced up his spine as goosebumps prickled across his shoulders then followed up his neck to the short hairs on his head. He saw movement of something outside the beam of his headlights. Henry! He yelled at the top of his lungs from his open window. Where are you, Henry? Billy stepped from his truck and took a couple of steps forward before the movement in the shadows seemed to pull at his breath. He quickly backstepped to his truck as his eyes scanned the area in total shock. He stood frozen until another chill convinced him to quickly climb back in. He immediately twisted the key and fired the diesel up. He hesitated a moment, feeling guilty about leaving Henry without looking further. Billy decided to drive around the silo even though it would take driving through the growing stalks of wheat. He pulled forward and to the right, dodging Henry's farm truck, then making a wide swath around the side of the silo. My God, was all he could muster from his lips as the sight of all the skeletons appeared to be laid out in some form of sacrificial positioning. There had to be at least a hundred, if not more. It would have taken hours to perform the task he saw before him. He slowly circled as he scanned the different sizes and shapes of bones spread amongst the field. Even though his truck slowly idled around the silo, the movement of more deer and coyotes, along with smaller furry creatures, continued to slowly enter the area as if entranced. Each step closer toward the silo, and then as if guided by bridle, took their allotted place. Each time a ring of creatures would encircle the silo, they would lie down in unison, maneuvering themselves into place. That's when he saw the set of bones that stuck out entirely different from all the others. They looked like a human skeleton of about six feet tall or so. Henry was about six foot two. It had to be his foreman. Oh, Lord. What, what will I tell Janet? Such a loyal and good friend. Why, Lord? Why? Billy's stomach suddenly ached as it groaned. He realized in that moment that his friend and foreman had somehow been made to be a part in this ritual of death, having taken his place and encircled by all the other creatures' bones. What the fuck? spilled from Billy's mouth. A feeling of doom suddenly came over him. He heard a sucking sound almost like a low-volume vacuum. 
the atmosphere around him began to change. The pressure felt different, and he began to feel like his breath was being pulled from his lungs without any aid from himself. His foot slipped off the gas pedal and the truck began to roll to a slow stop. He felt as if he were beginning to succumb to something, as if answering an inner calling he held no control over. The entire experience was overtaking his psyche. An overpowering urge inside him drove him to slide his foot back towards the pedal on the floor. His fists gripped the wheel tightly as he witnessed a fog or mist begin to exit from the still-live beast surrounding the silo. His foot began to pull away again from the pedal as he let his left hand drop from the steering wheel. The draw to the door handle to open the truck became stronger than his will to keep his hand in check. His fingers gripping the door handle with intent to pull the metal lever inward caused a click that sounded overwhelmingly loud for some reason. It echoed throughout the truck's cab and the door began to swing open. Billy's will to survive kicked in. He had been taught to know when to fight and when to flight since he was a youngster. His father's instincts had been settled into his mental psyche solidly. It was time for flight. There was nothing here he could fight and win tonight. Billy fought the draw to open the door and fully jump out. Instead, Billy forced his foot back upon the gas pedal and mashed it to the floor with all the force he could muster. The truck fishtailed to the left and then back to the right as he sideswiped a pile of bones on his left, scattering them about with a crash. The rear wheels spun and flung debris behind in a whirlwind of dust as the truck rocketed forward and away from the silo towards the gate. The highway was just past the gated entrance and the truck's wheels squealed as he pulled the steering wheel hard to the right after bouncing over the metal tubing cattle guards and swerving wildly onto the pavement. He pushed the pedal harder again to the floor as the Ford F-350's turbo kicked in and sped the vehicle quickly up to over 80 miles per hour, leaving the silo nothing more than a foreboding shadow in the distance. It seems Billy's inherent intuition instilled by his father had saved him from an odd exit from life. He didn't understand what was going on, but he knew he had to meet with Henning to figure out just what the hell to do about it. Billy felt thankful, but also spent the ride home reflecting on his good friend Henry and struggling with how he would explain tonight to Henry's wife Janet. The knot in Billy's stomach grew tighter and more painful as the truck continued flying down the old farm road fast and distant from field number 55, the silo field. Six. Henning was waiting in Billy's living room with the farmhand who had met him at the airport and driven him back to Billy's from the Wichita airport. Bright headlights shone brightly through the front windows as the halogen beams roared closer to where he sat. The loud rumble of the diesel truck came to a sliding stop and the driver's side door quickly flew open mere feet on the other side of the home's exterior wall. Henning saw a big burly man hurriedly step out from the vehicle and rush towards the front door he had been ushered through earlier. Henning continued to watch the man as he held his cell phone tightly against his ear. Cassandra's voice held hints of dread in the words heard. Yeah, Cass, this looks like Billy who just hopped out of the truck and is heading this way. Yes, I'll call you when I hear something to share. Yeah, of course, and I will. If I'd had any idea of how you felt, of course I would have acted sooner. I wish you could be here also. Okay, did Trevor talk to you yet? I know, I bet. Talk to you soon. And yes, I'll play it safe, promise. 
As Henning pushed end on his phone call, Billy rounded the corner, appearing very flush and upset. Billy, what happened to you? I was expecting to see you at the airport. Henning, I've just experienced the night from hell. My foreman is gone. He is the man I sent to get the measurements and check out the silo field. Billy's mood quickly became subdued. Henry, my foreman, he's gone. Gone? Explain, please. He's dead. There was nothing left but bones. It's unbelievable. I can't explain what the hell is going on. He was supposed to be headed home a couple of hours ago or so. Billy began to shake. His fingers first quivered and then it seemed to overtake his entire body from there. I have to talk to Janet, his wife. This news is going to devastate her. Billy, what happened tonight? It started when I didn't hear back from Henry. After demanding he leave the silo immediately and come back, he was giving details of some weird shit going on. I... I said leave. Leave now. And... and call me when you get home. Apparently, he didn't leave. He never called me. For thirty minutes, Henning listened in confused horror as Billy tried to wrap his horrible story up of what this day and evening had brought to both him and Henry. Henning, I don't know what the hell really happened out there. How do I explain this to Henry's wife, Janet? My God, they've got two children. I've got to get out there and see for myself, Billy. Absolutely not. We've got to let the authorities know about this. Now, before someone else gets hurt or another innocent person stumbles onto this evil place and suffers the same as Henry. Billy, I agree. The authorities need to be called. It's... Henning looked down to the watch on his arm. It's almost midnight now. I can't believe anybody is going to stumble onto the site at this hour. Give me an hour or two to get out there and check things out before you call anyone. That's not a good idea. You shouldn't go out there alone, but I don't feel comfortable sending anybody with you. And while I feel bad saying it... <clears throat> Billy cleared his throat. I'm never going out there again. Ever. I understand, and I don't blame you. Just give me a couple of hours to scope things out, please. I've traveled all this way and left my job hanging in the wind to get here. I understand, Henning, but I don't like it. Billy paused in contemplation. I'll give you an hour and a half, not a minute longer. Billy pulled up his Google Map app on his phone and pinned the site. I'll send you this so you'll know how to get out there. I'm serious, though. Don't get too close. I felt a pull inside like metal towards a strong magnet. There's a powerful evil inside that damned silo. I almost succumbed. I understand. Do you have a good flashlight? Out my truck on the seat next to the Browning 45. You can just take my truck. He handed the keys to Henning. Just as Henning clutched the key ring, his phone dinged, and the screen lit up simultaneously showing he received the pin sight from Billy. Okay, Billy, I'm off. Wish me luck. I'm serious, Henning. Be safe and don't do anything stupid. Don't get an inch closer to that damn silo than 20 feet. 
an hour and a half, and then the whole damn sky lights up in red and blue. Godspeed, my friend. Billy pulled Henning into his arm and gave him a brief hug. 7. The big black Ford F-350 pulled up to the gate slowly like a thief appears at the back of the scene of the crime he had just committed. The sky was deep black and brightened only by the twinkles of a billion stars scattered across the heavens above. On any other night, it could have possibly drawn his attention to its beauty, but not tonight. Tonight, Henning stared carefully out towards the silo some 40 or 50 feet from his idling truck. He pulled forward and turned slightly to the left, pointing the headlights directly toward center mass so they shined brightly on the structure rising above the silhouette of blowing wheat grains. He noticed the thin blackened slots up the grayish cement face, appearing like open windows. As he slowly opened the truck's door to step out, he pointed his flashlight to the base, looking for the bone piles Billy had described. He left the handgun still sitting on the leather seat. Guns made him uncomfortable. Closing the door, Henning began to move forward, shining his light back and forth, scanning the ground before him. He kept moving forward, scrutinizing the area, looking for the animal skeletons and Henry's remains. The closer he got, the more confused he was that there didn't seem to be any signs of what Billy had described the site to appear. He saw no movement, no animal carcasses or skeletal remains, and no evidence that Henry had been here. He had been expecting to see a vacant truck by the gate as Billy had stated he had seen. It was non-existent. Henning was baffled. His light beam waved back and forth, searching for any signs of anything Billy had spoken of. Was Billy wrong? Had this been some kind of joke or misunderstanding? Henning looked up to the sky momentarily as he drew within twenty or so feet from the base of the silo. His pocket vibrated and made him jump for a second. He reached inside and clutched his cell phone, pulling it out and pointing it up towards his face to view who could be calling. The screen flashed again. Cassandra Hoff is calling. He pressed the accept call button and brought the device to his ear. Hello, Cass. Prophet Henning, I was hoping you would answer. Any news? I just got to this site. It appears nothing like Billy made it sound. I'm beginning to think I've been pranked. Don't let your guard down, Henning. Remember, we have business to tend to when you get back. Cassandra smiled to herself as she felt a brief warmth inside, now being able to express her desires. I am looking forward to, you know, getting to know each other, other than just business and schoolwork. Henning chuckled into the phone as he took a couple of more steps toward the towering structure. I know, Cass. You've been on my mind, too. His insides began to tingle, slight pressure within his chest. He assumed it was coming from the flirtatious conversation between him and Cassandra. These kinds of feelings were relatively new to him. It had been years since he had held any interest in those kinds of matters. Too busy. He continued to step forward, the tingles beginning to morph into an internal tugging of the air within his lungs. Cassandra... You seem to be giving me odd tingles I hadn't felt before. Henning took one step forward as he continued talking to Cassandra before a feeling too strong to allow him to continue came over him. It was like an ocean wave collapsing on top of him. The phone slipped from his fingers and spilled to the ground, tumbling into the stalks of wheat. 
Henning slowly fell to his knees, not knowing what was happening. He sat back before stretching his legs out straight towards the base of the silo. He wriggled his feet forward until they lay at the proper placement, and then he slowly laid his head down upon the ground and looked up to the star-filled sky. As he lay quietly stretched out on the ground, a moist vapor began to be drawn from his lungs, then pulled from his nostrils and mouth. The quiet sucking sound could be heard through the earpiece on Cassandra's side of her cell phone that she held mashed tightly to her ear in frightened desperation. Henning instantaneously felt an odd and powerful pull of the air from within his lungs. What the hell? He spoke aloud in almost a whisper to himself. Henning, talk to me. Cassandra yelled into her phone trying to make Henning hear her. His mind fell back to recent memories and the conversation he had just had with his student, Cassandra. An odd time to think of it. He forced a smile, remembering it, imagining the glimmer in her young eyes as they spoke. Henning was having trouble keeping his mind focused on anything. Out of breath, his sudden weary eyes bulged wide open in panic, painted stark white with horror. His sudden inability to draw deep enough breath to ease his body from the onset anxiety came on so quickly, only mere minutes from arriving at the site. I'm all alone, he suddenly thought, and he painfully felt that fact as the multitude of stars now stared down at him. They seemingly began to dim into the distance as if they too were retreating from his presence. A gasping, gurgling swoosh slowly but deeply inhaled from the small slotted openings cut into the circular cement tower. Henning stared at the slim crescent moon hanging crooked, dipped slightly to the right, just over top the roof of the silo. It seemed to stand even more rigidly and staunch in a triumphant solitude. He hadn't realized it at first, but the cylindrical base now stood what appeared to be around 15 feet in front of him. He had known not to come within that distance. I know better, damn it. What was I thinking? Henning's eyes watched as the stars scattered thickly throughout the pitch black of night twinkled while buzzing satellites could be seen crossing the sky in orbit. He laid on the ground silently, except for the short gasps to collect breaths enough to sustain his life. He wasn't sure of what was happening. Is this a mild heart attack? Was a question he quickly asked himself. Henning concentrated his vision and thoughts to the heavens above to quell the fear hiding in his denial. He had already counted five stars streaming in short-lived trails through the blackness between the glimmering lights of ones still alive. He tried to smile, imagining the amazement of a star dying thousands, if not millions of years earlier, and yet now being able to witness their final dying sight, a death that was finalized before humans on Earth were even a twinkle in their creator's eye. Yes, he was a Christian at heart. He wasn't always forthcoming about practicing his faith, except for times like this when his future was in deep question and peril. He lay as still as possible, watching the amazing sky overhead, a sight most take for granted and never appreciate. But who am I? I do have forgotten the beauty overhead until now. He could still feel the pull from his lungs, hear the sucking sound as the grayish-white tower in front of him gently inhaled. It felt as if the silo were attempting to cabbage the very breath from his body. He had been very careful upon walking up to the silo, not encroaching too closely. He knew the measurements. Had I miscalculated in my excitement? 
he quietly asked himself. The thin vapor again swirled in smooth turns to the right and left as it wove between the stalks of wheat being drawn towards the dark openings in the gray cement silo's face. Just as it reached the top, the mist shifted downward and spiraled quickly into the small fissure that parted the center of the interior into a dark crack. Life ended quietly and quickly for Henning, his skin slowly melting away and dissolving leaving only the marrow of his bones laid out as the offering to the monster within the gray concrete depository which had summoned him here. Moments later, the beast dispatched its oddly shaped syncophantic minions to collect the offertory laid out before it. As the last remnant of Henning's remains were wiped clean from existence, the flash of red and blue lights lit the black skies in the distance, racing closer to field 55 of the Farrington Farm properties. The field sat empty other than a black vacant Ford F-350 pickup truck. Once the parade of police and medical response vehicles fanned out in a somewhat assembled fashion, a large group of uniformed law enforcement stood ready for the command to search and investigate. One female officer standing closest to the silo noticed the small lit screen of a cell phone just under the cover of weeds and stalks of wheat. She picked it up with her gloved hand and held it close to her ear to listen. 2,000 miles away, Cassandra now stood outside on her deck in panic-filled tears. Her cell phone pressed tightly against her face as she stared into the dark sky above, begging in an almost unintelligible plea, Henning, please, answer me, she sobbed. Henning, goddammit, I love you. Please answer me. I love you. A beautiful falling star caught Cassandra's eye pulling her attention away from her troubles for just an instant. Answering back in a voice which sounded out of breath and quiet with duress. Hello? Who am I speaking to? Get back! Quickly! Run from that damn silo as fast as you can! The End I sure hope you enjoyed tonight's tale, Cabbaged Breaths, written by Eli Pope. Eli Pope is a major writing contributor for Fear from the Heartland. Eli began his love of creating stories back in high school creative writing classes. The passion laid dormant for decades while life took him different directions. The stories never left, and he finally succumbed to the voices in his head, telling him to put them on paper. And put them on paper he did, earning the Literary Titan Award for all four books of the Mason Jar series, The Judgment Game, The Spark of Wrath, The Glass House, and The Reclamation, which you, dear listener, can hear on audible.com, performed by yours truly, Paul J. McSorley. The only thing I will tell you, Billy J. Cater is a bad dude. You can hook up with Eli Pope at his website, elipope.com that's eli e-l-i pope p-o-p-e dot com he can also be located on facebook at author eli pope or search groups on facebook the mason jar room
If you enjoyed tonight's story hosted by yours truly, Paul J. McSorley, you can search my name on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for additional previous stories. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks. Available now on audible.com or just visit paulsbooks.net. That's P-A-U-L-S-B-O-O-K-S dot net. You can also find me personally on Facebook and Twitter. And with that, listeners, our weekly journey into the psyche has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, for Fear from the Heartland, Paul J. McSorley. I've enjoyed the titillation tonight. Ooh, there's that word again. Thank you for joining me. Hope to see you again next week at Fear from the Heartland.